Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mbliwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a conversation, um, you know, around... Uh, I'm actually wondering, you know, how to, how to say this. Okay, fine. We're, we're getting into conversation around um, tokenization. Uh, I think, let me just, you know, put it like that. And, uh, you know, our guest is going to explain to us uh, the concept of uh, tokenization in just a few minutes, what it is. But for us, it's also just an opportunity to continue, um, you know, a conversation around um, um, technologies such as uh, the blockchain. You know, we recently had the team from Valor talking about it from uh, a cryptocurrency, you know, point of view. Uh, but for today's discussion, we are talking about it from a tokenization point of view, what it is, uh, what are some of the trends in the market, what are some of the opportunities, and, you know, maybe even possible case studies to make us understand that. And to help us uh, make sense of everything, we are joined uh, by Connie Bloom, who is the co-founder and executive head over at uh, Mesh.Trade. Um, you know, she is no stranger to the platform. We actually uh, spoke to her sometime last year, I believe it was in August. And you know, at the time, telling us about the fact that uh, I think the exo- I, th- I think the definition she gave us was that Mesh is a financial financial markets platform uh, for cross asset insu- insurance, uh, trade, investment, and management of digital and financial assets. Uh, but I think we're going to give an opportunity to just unpack, um, you know, what that actually means. <laughs> So, Connie, greetings to you today. Good morning, Madiva. So, Mesh.Trade, I've, I've given, you know, the one sentence that you gave us last year, but uh, maybe you can just uh, unpack for us. And I guess importantly for some some of us is, has the definition of what Mesh.Trade does changed over time, you know, uh, since we last spoke to you? Or are you pretty much still, you know, focused on the exact same thing? We are still pretty much focused on, on, on the same thing, but we, we have evolved in the way and the places that we do business. So obviously when you get investment coming into your company, um, it changes a lot of things and you can go quicker and faster. And what we are very excited about is the use cases that actually prove what a multi-sided platform and a financial markets platform that issues, tokenizes and trades digital assets or to your your point at the start of the, the introduction, real world assets. Um, what does that actually mean? How does that practically look like in the market? So we have not evolved what we do, but we have become a bit more mature as a business as we start entering into our more formal market as well. All right. Actually, uh, we've spoken to a couple of people, you know, you can imagine that uh, being a business platform and also, um, you know, myself having a leaning towards technology, we've actually spoken to one or two platforms. I remember we spoke uh, to an outfit out of Cape Town that was looking at uh you know, the blockchain as a whole, you know, what type of smart contracts can you do, uh, issues of tokenization. And uh, I think one of the, uh, what you call this, one of the examples that was given, I remember during that conversation, uh, was to say you could take, let's say, ownership in a building um, and, you know, uh, instead of creating, let's say, shares, 
um, you know, in a building or in a business, you could create tokens that people would be able, um, you know, to buy up and uh, you are able to then, I don't want to use the word justify, but you're able to reliably verify, you know, ownership um, using uh, the blockchain uh, blockchain technology. So using that example, maybe you could walk us through, you know, how a tokenization actually happens, you know, using the example. I think a lot of people are interested in property. We all live in buildings. We all have roofs over our head. So maybe that's uh, an easy way to understand, you know, using a real-world asset that we all interact with on a daily basis. So let's, yeah, let's use a building, yeah. Let, let, let's unpack that because I, I, I like your example. It's so, it's so practical. We all have a place to live. And for this example, let's assume that you own your house. So you're, you're the owner, you're not renting, you own. So let's look at the concept of tokenization before we apply it to the example. So what is the concept of tokenization? A quick recap for, for, for our listeners is tokenization is a term that goes hand in hand with the blockchain. So the blockchain is a very big digital ledger that allows everyone in the community to see what transactions are happening at what time. And it also allows you to see who the owners are of those transactions at the end of the day. So let's take an example. Um, I am sending you some money. When I send you that money, everyone in the community can see that Connie has sent Madiwa some money. So now we, we're starting to look at, but what is it that I'm really sending? So I, I use the term money and token and, and, and so forth. What is it that we, we really sending? A simple way of looking at a token is it's a little bucket, a little collection of rights and obligations that we've enfold, enfolded in a digital contract. Some people use the term smart contract. Some people use the term coin. Some people use the term token. It is all just a reference to a collection of rights that we put into a digital contract. Now, when we start transacting over this massive ledger, what I'm effectively doing is I'm sending a token from my account to your account. So I'm transferring a collection of rights from myself to you. So I'm transferring that ownership. The moment that it comes into your account, you own that collection of rights. Now, to apply this to your house example as what they call a real-world asset, and why do we use the term real-world asset? Uh, we use that term because we needed to differentiate between a crypto asset and an asset that actually has some rights and obligations and ownership structures around it. So when I start looking at my house, what I need to realize is I'm sitting with a collection of rights and obligations that is most probably enfolded in a, a certificate of rights. And it's registered at some government office that says Connie Bloom owns this house. Now, when I actually want to go to the blockchain, I have to go to the smart contract or this token or this collection of, of, of rights. And I have to tell it my house located at one Berry Street in Fantasyland consists of two bedrooms, a lovely wall and a swimming pool. Okay. We, we don't need a kitchen in my house. We, we just, uh, we just swim in, in, in summer and it, 
um, it is wholly owned by myself. Now, you come visit my, my house in one berry lane and you absolutely love it. And you tell me you want to buy this house from, from me. So what we then do is we go into a transaction. And you give me some, some money and I transfer this token over to you. So I effectively tell the blockchain that the, the ownership of this, this, this house has been transferred to yourself. Now, normally when we get lawyers involved and we start updating contracts, we effectively update the name, the legal entity that owns this house on the contract and we draft things and, and so forth. Now, this actually effectively falls away because we say in the tokenization world that the person that owns this token as a whole in their account is the legal owner of that house. So it makes it a lot easier and a lot quicker to actually transfer assets between people. Mm. Uh, I, it sort of feels like, uh, would I be wrong that uh, in, in this specific example, I understand we're in a specific example, but would I be wrong in saying that um, through a tokenization type of transaction, if we're using the property example, that it may be cheaper. I don't want to make assumptions, but would yeah. it be cheaper then to make uh, you know something like that happen? Because um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, we're millennials, you know, and uh, this this generation has uh, found it tough, you know, in the property market, and you know, it's a, it's a it's a thing that's seen around the world. But one of the big things that comes with acquiring property is. Um, you know, conveyancing and all of this stuff, you know, that tends to be there. And I'm just wondering what that does, you know, to those types of things. Firstly, there's the speed, you know, that you that you spoke about just now. Uh, there's an easier ability to prove ownership and to make, you know, the, those transfers happen. And I'm now wondering, you know, does that you know, from a real-world point of view, then lend itself to possibly, um, I guess, making certain things even cheaper, mm -hmm. not only in time, but financially as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. So one of the, the big benefits that come with, with tokenizing and, and, and using like blockchain-based transactions is that we effectively reduce the amount of intermediaries needed to facilitate this transaction. There's still certain value-added intermediaries that that will not be be removed out of out of out of the equation, because a house is still a valuable asset. How do you know that you're actually paying the right price for it? That you're getting your your money worth out of it? So you're still going to use that that conveyor or the person that 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 goes and inspects the house and tells you it's good quality. The price that you're paying is is what it's it's supposed to be. But no longer do you actually need someone to facilitate the transaction for you. So there's many middlemen that that actually get removed out of, out of the process. And to give you a practical example of, of how much we can actually reduce some of, of the costs and the complexities in, in the industry is, so I'm sitting in the financial industry in the capital market. And generally, when we have a transaction that occurs, there's around anything between eight and 40 middlemen involved in a single transaction, even on things that is so quick and easy, such as a stock transaction or equity transaction. We, we've all like tried to invest in a, in a little apps, our share or ETF or, or ETN um, through our investment platforms. 
But through tokenization, we've actually effectively reduced the time of an extremely complex process that can take you up to six months to effectively five minutes if you can time quick enough. And we've taken the, the concept of these 8 to 40 um, intermediaries that, that sit between these transactions, and we've effectively eliminated to the two parties transacting, so the, the buyer and the seller. And the same thing happens in the property market. Um, you remove all those, those administrative intermediaries as well. So effectively, it becomes cheaper and quicker and easier to transact with. Right. Yeah, no, it is an interesting uh, uh, space to be in, um, you know, over time. And one of the things that I'm happiest about is the fact that we are finding these, um, I guess, real world examples of where you can use, um, I guess, the technology. Um, Because cryptocurrencies have always been, you know, a little bit here, here and there with them. Um, I think over time, we've seen a lot more confidence in that particular market. But um, the one thing I have been, you know, unwavering in terms of, you know, just being confident in is the technology itself, right? That is the blockchain, right? And um, what I'm most happy about is the fact that we're finding these um, you know, these use cases for the technology, um, especially when it comes to proving ownership. More than anything else, I know that in, a, in, in lots of parts of the world, um, proving ownership, corrupt dealings and deeds, uh, you know, deeds offices, that type of thing. And if you have something that can actually just uh, prove uh, ownership on a public ledger, Right. Yeah, that actually, you know, speaks um, uh, quite a bit to me. Now, in terms of that development, you know, I wanted you to maybe talk to us about, uh, I guess, confidence in the space, uh, because from a crypto, you know, from the crypto portion of, you know, the blockchain universe, there seems to be a lot more confidence in that space. We're seeing a lot more of uh, the established financial services um, and institutional investment fraternity, you know, coming into the market. But I'm just wondering from a tokenization point of view, you know, some of the movements that you're seeing there, I think the last time that you and I spoke, we're talking about the fact that, uh, you know, the Reserve Bank has been moving, it was at the time was looking at uh, white papers, you know, embracing uh, the new technologies and all of that. But maybe you could talk to us about, you know, how conversations have changed, um, you know, in in your ecosystem around uh, tokenization. It's been a very interesting year, to be honest, to be in this this field and this um, using this kind of technology because the evangelists and the people that have been part of the blockchain community, I would say from the start, has always said that the technology is very trusted. And I think we've we've moved away from where people are exp- uh, experimenting with, can we do something as simple as settle? Can we do something as, as simple as trade with each other? Um, from So to, proving the technical um, robustness of the technology to actually putting in use cases that are shifting the world if i can if i can be so upfront about it so where a year ago people were more in the experimental phase 
right now people are putting their money where their mouth is. And big trusted parties and big trusted entities within our markets are starting to, to shift and no longer just experiment, but actually utilize it in their everyday life and in their everyday business. And I think some ex- examples in the international market that is quite noteworthy is that we've seen some some bigger players such as MoneyGram and Stellar partner with each other. So Stellar is a blockchain and MoneyGram is, is a, a, a remittance payment um, company. And they've partnered to actually make an impact in the daily lives of um, people uh, working remotely and sending money back, back home to make that quick and, and effective. We've seen big parties such as Visa experimenting with it, uh, Swift now also putting a, a solution in, in the market. And both of these parties have concluded a consortium of um, partners in the market who are assisting them to effectively reduce the settlement cycles for um, merchants in, in stores. So imagine going from a two-week settlement cycle for you to have money in your bank accounts to a near instant, five seconds later, you as a, a shop owner actually have has the cash to go and buy more stock for your business or do better investments and better cash management. Some of the, the things more towards my side of the industry, which is which is interesting, which talks to the tokenization of assets, is what JP Morgan and BlackRock are currently doing. So they are tokenizing some of their assets and their funds to um, transact across a platform, which is effectively JP Morgan, to um, shorten the collateral cycles that they're dealing with. And this is very exciting because for the first time, the capital market is shifting from a T plus three, T plus five kind of settlement cycle. T plus three and T plus five means T plus uh, the day from which you trade plus three days or a day from which you trade plus five days to have cash in their bank or transaction of, of assets. It's a settlement cycle, which is very exciting because now they have more and more liquidity running in the markets and that makes for easier and more effective trades. So that is exciting to see in the international markets. But locally, who are some of the players who are the people doing um, interesting things is firstly, Mesh is doing some, some very interesting things. And we are stepping into the world of entrepreneurs who are trying to raise capital for their business. So imagine you're an entrepreneur sitting with a project that you would like to have funded. You need 5 million rand, you need 100 million rand, and you um, want to build a new factory. So what we do is we assist the entrepreneurs to go out to market and we tokenize that debt that they're trying to raise, that 100 million that they're trying to raise, that 5 million that they're trying to raise, either in equity or bonds. And we are connecting them directly to those sources of capital. So retail investors, institutional investors, corporate investors, and we're tokenizing those assets and allowing them to to settle effectively and um, efficiently at the end of the day. Curiosity on my side about uh, um, tokenizing and the blockchain specifically. The fact that you have some of the world's biggest financial institutions, right? When you're talking at the BlackRock level, when you're talking at the JP Morgan level, you know, particularly BlackRock, I think the last number that I saw was, you know, eight. $8, $12 trillion that they have under management. I stand to be corrected, you know, somewhere there. I think it's around 16 trillion. Yeah, yeah, in that Um, that crazy universe. It's it's the GDP (laughs) of a a large country. Yeah, so when we're talking 
uh, fund managers, you know, with such large asset bases actually saying, okay, fine, there's something here and we want to go into it. One of the things I've been the most curious about is the biggest, one of the biggest uh, characteristics of the blockchain is the public ledger. But a public ledger seems antithetical to the financial services and the, I'm tempted to use the word secrecy, uh, but the confidentiality <laughs> that financial services transactions, you know, tend to have to have, even from a regulatory point of view, you need to keep um, the the transactions of your of your of your customers. You know, you need to have a certain level of confidentiality over, um, you know, customer transactions. So as a layman, right, maybe you could talk to us around that because it would occur to me to be a bit of a tension, um, you know, that you have a public ledger, but at the same time you have uh, what you call this, you have a financial services sector that is trying to um, embrace this technology. You know, is there a way to ring fence, you know, uh, uh, you know, portions of transactions? You know, do you make your own, you know, blockchain? Like how do you ensure that type of thing? It's a it's an interesting conversation point, and I think this this exact um, and I wouldn't say argument, but it's it's a principle has been going forward and backwards for for years within our industry, and we can look at South Africa currently being being grey listed, and what is one of the reasons why we've we've been grey listed is that something called KYC or know your customer is not up to the international financial market standard. So what that means is that you need to know who you're transacting with at the end of the day. So there is some transparency needed in, in that. And what I think is a bit of a misconception when it comes to blockchain technology and how it works and, and, and so forth is that when you're, you're transacting with it, that when you look at the ledger, there literally stands your name and your surname and your ID number owns this account which is not true. What the blockchain is saying is there is an account with a public key, i.e. identifying number, that did a transaction. So if you mine the information, yes, you are, you can effectively figure out who owns what accounts and what assets they're transacting with, which is a bit of a competitive advantage between um, the banking industry to not be able to see what is my trading strategy. Don't look at at at, at what the the assets that I that I that I own within my portfolio, or my fund. But you need to to really um, know your game when it comes to um, like data engineering and, and and so forth to figure out who that that person is. So I think the tension exists between um, having transparency. So everyone in the community can see when a transaction happens and protecting identity, because that's a very important point in, in the market. So when people starting to look at um, the benefits of having what is called a private chain and a public chain, um, this argument always comes, comes up because many of the uh, financial institutions trade on trust. So they're more comfortable with going for the private chains where they can ring fences, where they can enclose the information and only certain parties in that community can effectively see what transactions are happening. 
But then yet again, you're restricted to that ecosystem. And look at yourself practically. You most probably have a bank account. You have an investment account. You have a PayPal account. You have accounts all, all over. And how hard is it to, to actually consolidate those, those accounts? And you do transact effectively across all these parties. Is it still beneficial for you as an end party to transact across all those entities? Or would you sometimes prefer to be able to take your bank account and connect it with your investment account and travel with it? Because you're traveling with it. It's the same way that you're traveling with your cell phone. So that is that is one argument to, to look at what are the benefits around doing it. But you can also bring in the same kind of privacy and anonymity within a public chain and still retain all the, the benefits of it, but then just bring over a layer of, of anonymity. And chains that are doing this very well is actually Stellar. They're doing it, it lovely because they have things such as uh, KYC checks on, on their asset holdings and on their accounts. They have privacy settings. They have things called clawbacks. So I think the technology is, is stepping into the space where they are resolving these kind of issues and giving you best of both worlds. So giving you the choice of saying, what is it that I want to enforce and what are the things that I want to protect? But how can I still bring forth the transparency, the ownership um, and the efficiencies of using a public blockchain? Yeah, very interesting. Um, and at least I, I have a, I have I have a couple of things to query. Um, you know, and I, I would be going down the weeds a little bit, especially the point around: uh, is it possible to to tamper with a a a ledger on a, on a private blockchain? Uh, I'm just wondering about that because if I'm a decision maker, right? You, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm investing in this uh, ecosystem that's meant to give us, you know, line of sight into everything that's happening, just so that if there is any tampering, you know, we all, you know, know about it. Because the use case I was thinking about in my head is, let's say, for example, you you are a retail chain a a a something like a, a like a Woolworths a shoprite or something and you've got a supply chain of let's say farmers and you are you are looking at a way to at a way to just make sure that every person is being paid uh, you know along the way and you know everything is you know central as as you know let's say produce is delivered from one farm onto the Woolies truck Perhaps there's a there's a token of some sort that's being scanned and you know ratifying the fact that yes this indeed did happen. Uh, maybe it's a three step, you know. Maybe it's a three. There's three steps, and once the three tokens have come together like a video game, then you know you get your money. I don't know something like that. You have a token at the point of order, token at the point of uh, actually delivering uh, the goods, and the, the, then maybe there's another token. Uh, at the point of payment and then you say that particular supplier has been paid and then you know at the end of a particular cycle you can maybe tally up whatever tokens you have to actually show the fact that okay fine we we this is what's happening in our business and we've been able to settle everyone if anyone has any disputes Oh, such and such didn't pay me. They, you know, all of that. <laughs> then you're gonna be like, no, guys, we we did the thing. Uh, we mm. in our ecosystem, it's it, traceability. It, yeah, yeah. 
All right. Now, Connie, I think before we let you go, uh, maybe um, there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe you could just talk to us around how how different of an investment landscape maybe you guys are facing. Um, one of the things that we follow quite closely on this platform is uh, is the amount of investment that is going into financial technology um, right now. I think about two weeks ago, uh, we had the team from uh, Peach Payments uh, who recently completed you know, quite a sizable funding round uh, for their business. And the reason I ask that is because uh, in May, we actually had uh, Brendan Doyle from Convergence Partners on the same platform. And uh, Convergence Partners had put uh, some money into 42 markets, you know, of which Mesh.Trade is one of uh, the portfolio companies. So, um, and they sounded quite bullish you know, around uh, everything that uh, 42 Markets is doing, particularly what Trade is doing. So, you know, clearly there's a lot of attention from, you know, investors and that type of thing. Um, so maybe the question that I have is around, do you find yourself still having to explain what it is that you guys are trying to do? Or do you think that things have just reached that level where from an investor point of view, people are sort of, They've, they've arrived and they're now considering more about how much do I put in as opposed to should I put in um, some, some, some capital? It's, it's an interesting question because I think the, the market currently is at a bit of an impasse. So we, we're seeing what I call the arrival of the responsible leaders occurring, especially within the blockchain market. So we've, we've seen a, a wave of of businesses actually exiting uh, because they weren't being managed correctly. And I, I think one of the, the, the biggest scandals that we can talk about is the FTX debacle that, that happened. And that created a lot of waves and difficulties for a lot of companies, such as ourselves as well, to raise funds effectively in the market because we are responsible corporate citizens and uh, we don't um, ascribe to some of the, the, the darker bits in, in the market. So that has definitely been a challenge. But what we've seen with the, the arrival of what I call the um, the responsible leaders is that all of a sudden the, the conversation has changed from, is this really a, a good use case? Will someone take it up in the market to being, yes, this technology works. How can we invest and how can we, we help you to grow your business? Because fintech is a big challenge and a very um, lucrative investment for, for, for people. And the big challenges in, in, in our world is regulation, regulatory compliance, being able to grow your platform quick enough and cost effectively. And it is interesting to, to have those, those conversations with investors. So there's no longer just money for, for, for jam available in the market, which I quite appreciate. It's a bit uh, contradictory or um, not a popular opinion with, uh, with, with, between other founders, because now we have to work harder to raise more money. But if you are a responsible company, if you have value that you're delivering to your to your end clients, uh, you can actually get into rooms with trusted investors a lot quicker. And that's better for our businesses as well. And especially when we talk to convergence partners, they are a very trusted investor in the market, very trusted private equity company. And they've had years of, of, uh, of experience and years of success across their portfolio companies as well. 
and it's a stamp um, of approval from from their side for our company but also it's something that we are extremely proud of to be able to say that we have some of the most trusted names in the market being able to invest in us so when i talk to clients and i tell them convergence is um invested into our company they don't ask me like who <laughs> they like oh those guys we understand their work we trust what they're doing and it also lends some trust to our business as well which is sorely needed okay and because you are so plugged into the world of financial services i guess what are some of the I guess areas areas of interest that you are seeing. Um, you mentioned earlier on, you know, quite extensively, uh, the example of J.P. Morgan, the Black Rocks. You know, we're talking private equity firms such as Convergence Partners. What are what are the the people that do have the checkbooks? You know, what are they interested in when it comes to the landscape? Mm. Because there's so much going on in the world of uh, financial technology that, you know, we could spend, you know, multiple podcasts, you know, just <laughs> detailing, um, you know, each of the different uh, silos and activity that's there. But, um, you know, from what you're seeing, obviously, blockchain is a big, is now becoming a bigger conversation. But what else are you sort of seeing in the space? And how do you as mesh trade sort of position yourselves you know, to take advantage of some of that. So one thing that's that's uh, always quite interesting in, in this market is that the payments industry is always a, a, a sector of the financial industry that has always attracted uh, very interesting fintech companies and also interested investors as well. So there's a lot of movements happening in, in that space. I think you mentioned Peach, one of the big um, names in this space is also Stripe, but with Within South Africa, Yoko um, has also been making making waves, and we're seeing these these companies starting to mature into their series C's, D's, and E's. So it's 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 quite an awkward um, uh, check size that is that is that is flowing there, and they've built massive and very um, very uh, profitable companies in, in in that space. So I think in the payments industry, there's always going to be movements and there's always going to be people uh, trying to make that that more eff- efficient and effective. Um, but for 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 our side of the the industry, um, no longer are we seeing like smaller projects uh, just trying to optimize an algorithm being being funded. More platform businesses such as ours are becoming the the, the name of the game. And especially within the real world asset tokenization um, conversation, we're seeing an influx of, of of capital coming coming into our space. So I think Mesh, having started it out around four years ago, um, we started it out before the the um, the industry was ready. I would say so. Sometimes in those conversations, we were laughed out of the room, like why would we tokenize something? But now that conversation has shifted, and we are very well positioned to do so. So we are launching some of our first tokenized assets in in February, and we we have a whole pipeline of of these assets following. So I'm I'm very bullish about our market, bullish about our positioning within the markets. And given that we've just closed a, a funding round, I think we still have a year and a half to two years to to really maximize that investment of ours. 
And um, if I read the market correctly, this will just keep on happening and we can extend our use cases away from just the core tokenization to things such as collateral pools, uh, to maybe helping the central banks to, to tokenize some of their assets and making the monetary policy management more effective, giving a good baseline for things like central bank digital currencies to take uh, to, to take off and be effectively managed within the complex structure of our, our eco economies. Maybe establishing markets within um, challenger market uh, countries such as um, Botswana, Sudan, and, and so forth, who don't have a formal capital markets industry. Maybe in introducing some of the, 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 the good quality trade and capital raising for, for, for those countries as well. And I think eventually what will then start, start moving, which I think will probably take another three years or, or so, is international transactions of, of assets. So not international payments, international transactions of, of assets, where you as a South African investor can invest in, let's say, American assets or into assets in the UK or EU in a regulatory compliant and safe and easy way without having to figure out what is all the complexities of, of this industry. So this is what I'm seeing evolving. And I think that the, the capital and the investments in the market will definitely follow suit in into these spaces as well. All right. So that's where we end off for today. I think uh, the the big theme uh, for today's discussion is uh, the evolution of the tokenization space. Um, there has been a lot of movement like what, uh, you know, Connie is um, helping to articulate. Um, and, you know, this sort of uh, follows the theme to say that, uh, you know, the, blo uh, the blo blockchain technologies and blockchain-backed businesses are receiving a lot more attention. Um, it's a lot more you know it feels like there's a little bit more credence that's being given to the technology as opposed to viewing it like it's a financial voodoo um and i think that's uh, you know the conversations have um evolved from that point of view when it comes to tokenization i think we talked quite a bit about some of the different use cases um you know that are out there we gave the example of uh, property uh, also giving you know the examples of uh, capital raising uh, that's one of the big ones that con he spoke about I, I remember previously uh we've had a conversation about tokenizing carbon credits so you know i think you the the, the, the sky's the limit in terms of uh, where you can go in this particular space and then also at the same time just recognizing the fact that you have uh, large financial institutions around the world blackrock uh, uh blackrock jp morgan i think private equity players such as uh, convergence partners all making a play um you know for this type of uh for this type of technology um i remember a few years ago when we spoke to visa they mentioned the fact that uh, this blockchain thing we might not agree or disagree around crypto uh, but the technology itself you know is quite solid and now i think we're starting to see um a lot of that uh you know materializing sort of it's i think one of my biggest observations is that um where blockchain is now sort of feels like where AI was last year. And I'm waiting to see what the next year is going to look like because um, sometime, you know, sometime last year, 
if you had been talking to guys in the technology spaces, um, they'd been investing in artificial intelligence for years, right? And, you know, it seemed a little bit fringe in certain cases. And yes, there were one or two real world examples that people were using, but um, the consumerization, the commercialization of GPT made people aware and it brought it a lot into the mainstream. And it sort of feels like the last decade has been a lot of evangelizing uh, for blockchain, you know, technologies. And, you know, now, you know, as the, 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 the formal financial institutions start putting more money behind it and it's no longer, you know, the, the image of the guy in the hoodie in a dark basement somewhere as long as, and as we escape those types of imageries, I think the, 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 the conversations have clearly shifted and, you know, some of the examples that Connie gives, you know, sort of show us uh, that we're going to see a lot more um, investment, you know, in the space. I think I, I saw something where people are now allocating greater amounts, um, you know, of their investment budgets to, um, you know, things like blockchain. And, uh, you know, after a year, what is it going to be sitting at? 1%, 2%, 3%, 5%. And if you are in the world of a BlackRock, those are those are billions, you know, of uh, of dollars. What does that do, you know, to the the formal sectors in a place like South Africa? Um, and I think that's all of that is going to be very interesting to watch. So that's been it. We were talking to uh, Connie Bloom, who is from Mesh Trade. Connie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.